Hello and welcome to the Sex Within Marriage Podcast. My name is JD and I blog over at uncoveringintimacy.com. And well, October is nearly come and gone now, so it's time to get to September's questions. uh, And we got to get them answered and published so we can make room for October's. Uh, Before we get to that, though, uh, I'd like you to take a minute and check out our latest survey if you haven't filled it out yet. Uh, There's a link in the show notes. You can fill it out while you listen, if you like, or pause it, whatever. But we're hoping to hit over 2,000 responses, uh, again, just like last time, but we need some help as we have a shorter time frame this time around. Uh, As well, uh, Christmas is coming up, and that means our Intimacy Advent Calendar will be opening up for purchase again. Um, It's probably going to be open 1st of November. Um, So here's what we're going to do. If you become a supporter of our blog and podcast during the month of November, for five dollars a month or more you know we'll give it to you for free as our thanks um for those who are already supporters in those tiers don't worry you'll get it free as well and without that out of the way let's get on to the questions so for those who don't know we have a page on our website at uncoveringintimacy.com that's our ask a question page and it's for people who want to ask a question but they're uh too scared to email about it So I created a page where you can ask anonymously. Uh, It doesn't track you. uh, It doesn't ask for an email address, contact information, nothing. If you want to put information in so I can ask more questions and follow up, that's perfectly fine. Or you can email me, j at uncoveringintimacy.com. But if you prefer to ask it anonymously, you can ask it there. So these are the anonymous questions I got, um, yeah, last month. And the first two are actually very similar questions. So I'm going to read them both uh, as I think the same answer answer applies to both of them. The first one is, Hi, my question involves having a spouse that has continuously refused sex. I know it is uncommon, but my husband is refusing sex. We did not have sex before marriage and his lack of interest started from day one. We had sex more recently while trying to conceive, but after my daughter was born six years ago, We have likely had sex less than six times. So that's once a year. Currently, it has been two years since any intimacy. Honestly, it has broken me. My self-esteem, my desire to serve him as I should as a wife and homemaker. I don't sleep well at night. My health has been and my health has suffered. He has been sleeping in another room for over a year. Being in the same bed is just too painful for me. He's fine with this arrangement. There is sexual abuse in his past. I've tried to get counseling, but he always says he doesn't want to go because they will just say everything is his fault. Is this grounds for divorce? I'm 47 years old, and this is my first marriage, his second. We've been married for seven years. We're literally roommates. Yet he says he loves me and can't imagine his life without me. There's no emotional intimacy for us whatsoever. Is this considered abandoning our marriage? Thank you. The second question is... Hi, my dilemma seems to be scarcely discussed. Anytime someone looks for advice regarding a sexless marriage, it's always a woman saying no, and the Christian community attacks her with the fury of a thousand sons. They quote scripture and shred her to pieces for not doing her God-given duty of putting out when and where her husband demands it. My situation is a little different. See, I'm the woman, and my husband has decided that sex is off the table. Period. End of conversation. Full stop. I can quote scripture all day long. We can see therapists, pastors, and an occasional friend who's been there, always, also always a man, and come to no resolution. 
for some bizarre reason, when a woman chooses to become celibate within her marriage, the wrath of God is conjured. If a man does it, then it's probably a medical reason, or the wife isn't attractive anymore, etc., etc., etc. I'm lonely. I want a physical relationship. I want to have sex. What am I supposed to do? Live life as a proverbial nun? Leave him and find someone else? What do I do? So for both of these questions, you know, it's not as uncommon as you think. Uh, we got two questions in similar situations in the same month. And my best guess is that uh, in about one out of 10 marriages, the husband is actively refusing, refusing to have sex. Uh, it doesn't help a whole lot to know that, except to say that you aren't alone. Now, uh, you say you've tried to get counseling, but he refused. Um, but what about getting counseling for yourself? You know, whatever his decisions, you need support for you. And I'd start there. Book the appointment for you and tell him you'd love him for him to join you. But either way, you're going to counseling. And if you are at the breaking point where you simply can't take it anymore, then I'd probably let him know that. You know, if it were me, I would probably say something like, Dear, I love you, but I can't continue like this. I want to have a relationship with you, but I can't keep suffering like this, like in the way that we're going. I either need you to get some help or I need to leave. I've booked an appointment with a counselor for us. I'd love for our discussion to be about how we can move forward. Otherwise, my discussion with the counselor will be how can I move on with my life? And then basically ask, will you come with me? And, you know, that's a clear, clear message about where you are. It's not an ultimatum of do this or I walk. It's this is what I need in order to stay healthy. If you can't do it, then I need to make a difficult decision for my health. And as for whether or not it's grounds for divorce, I feel like I say this every month now, but that's up to you and God. You know, you vowed to God to love him unconditionally, and now you're considering breaking that vow. And uh, that's irregardless of what he does, um, because it's unconditional. And yes, I could rant all day long about how your husbands are not uh, doing what they should be doing and not acting appropriately or Christ-like or anything like that, but it doesn't matter because they're not listening. So from your side of it, um, yeah, you are choosing to break a vow and you have to make sure the cost of breaking that vow is worth it because getting divorced will damage you and him and your daughter and not in a kind of this is going to hurt esoteric way, but all the studies we know about divorce tells us that it has a lasting measurable negative impact, uh, particularly on children, but on everyone around you, you know, this will likely affect your kids' relationships, their education, their income. Uh, it increases their risk of divorce as well. It increases your chances your chances of divorce in any subsequent marriage. So if you do find someone else, there's a possibility that you're just going to find the same person again or someone with the same archetype and then get divorced again. It seems to happen over and over again to people. So is this grounds for divorce? I think you'll have to decide that on the on your own. Just be sure that you know what the cost is. You know, I don't think people often think that through. And if you want to know more about my thoughts on divorce, you can check out a post I wrote on that, which I'll link to in the show notes. Now, question three is along the same lines. They write, my husband and I have been married for just over a year and have only had sex once, a few months after marriage. We have done love style tests and I'm a physical touch kind of person, whereas he's an ex of service kind of guy. 
but he won't do more than hold my hand outside of the bedroom, and that's always only if I initiate it. The topic of intimacy, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean intercourse keeps coming up, but we keep getting stuck. We are in a long-distance marriage, so we spend extended periods of time apart. So initially I thought he was scared of getting me pregnant and the complications of a child while we are still long-distance. But today he told me that when it comes to sex and intercourse, for him that is limited to the purpose of having kids. He says he can be physical in the bedroom, but shuts off when it gets to sex. However, even that has been maybe four to five times where he hugs me, kisses me, touches me, dry humps, and then rolls over and said, good night. I'm stuck in having major self-esteem issues because I feel like something is wrong with me. And why hasn't, why isn't he turned on or attracted enough to me to feel that way? And she writes, uh, too long, didn't read version is married just over a year, long distance. I crave touch and he thinks intimacy is only for procreation causing conflict and self-esteem issues for me. Is there any way to save our marriage? Is there any way to save your marriage? Yeah, absolutely. But you both have to want to, you know, does he know how big of an impact this has on you? I mean, not just that you're annoyed or unhappy. Does he know you're considering leaving him? Uh, and similar to the above, I'd recommend a clear and unambiguous discussion about how you feel and what's at stake. Chances are he doesn't know how serious this is. I'd also ask him why he believes sex is only for procreation. His answers would probably de- probably determine what I'd try next. You know, if it's for religious reasons, I'd have ask if he's willing to do a Bible study like Intimacy Ignited. Um, if it's because of past abuse, I'd ask him to see a therapist. If it's because of a lack of desire, I'd ask him to see a doctor and get his hormones checked. Uh, so there's a bunch of stuff that could be going on. Um, and depending on what's causing it, they all have different roots. But, and is there hope for your marriage? Yeah, definitely. But like I said, you have to both want it and talk about what the marriage will look like and how to get there. And that's about all I have without more information. Question number four uh, just starts by saying embarrassing amount of wetness. Whenever we have sex or any kind of intimacy, I get really wet to the point that it's embarrassing, especially if spending the night at friends. Even hotel sheets need to be changed. I don't squirt or anything like that. Any suggestions? Um, as a matter of fact, I do actually. This question comes up from time to time. And it turns out that Mary Dance actually carries a blanket to help with this exact thing, which I'll link to in the show notes. Um, the description for it reads, you know, it creates a soft playscape that protects your bedding and furniture from your wettest erotic adventures. Uh, it has an inner moisture barrier to help prevent leaks through it. So your friend's beds won't get wet. So I'd say get one of those, toss it on the bed before sex and then take it off again to sleep. All right. Question five is my wife came to me with the idea of pegging. It makes her horny. Is this something new for women that want to feel manly? Uh, Honestly, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what your wife is thinking. Why don't you ask her why she wants to do it? It could be that she just wants to feel manly, or it could be that she simply thinks that you'll enjoy it due to the prostate being stimulated. So, uh, but I, I have no idea what your wife is thinking. You'll have to talk to her. All right. Question six. I've had a few dreams that included my wife. When I woke up, I was really angry for her for what she did in my dream. I know intellectually that it did not really happen, but that does not take away the feelings of anger or separation. Can you give me some advice for dealing with this? So for me, the first thing to distinguish is that it wasn't your wife in the dream. It was someone that looked like your wife in a dream. 
And it's sort of like if your wife was a twin and the other twin did something awful, you know, would that get you upset at your wife? You know, likely not, because you'd be used to the separation of the two people. So maybe think more of your dream wife as a twin, not actually your wife, rather than, yeah, being a wife, your wife and you didn't, that didn't actually do the thing you dreamt of. Uh, I'm not sure if that distinction will help or not, but it's worth a try. Other than that, the best thing I know to create feelings of love for someone is to act as if you love them. Our brains are sort of funny in that uh, they don't care a whole lot about the order of cause and effect. For example, if you smile, you'll become happier. In fact, even holding your mouth in a smile position without actually smiling will make you happier. Uh, Our brains don't care if you were happy first or smiles first. It just knows, oh, I'm smiling, I must be happy. Or, oh, I'm happy, I should smile. And you see this in kids, you know, if they're really upset and you start tickling them and they start laughing, uh, all of a sudden they'll break out of their mood, uh, especially when they're young. It's harder to do when they're older because they'll just hit you and push you away. Uh, but little kids, it works amazingly for because once they're la- laughing, they're happy. But there have been times in the past where I was quite upset with my wife. Uh, we had an argument or something that didn't get resolved. And so uh, one time I did the dishes for her. Uh, by the time I was done with the dishes, I didn't get upset anymore. And I should clarify, because someone's going to get upset about this, you know, I didn't do the dishes for her because it's her job to do the dishes. I got up uh, at 5.30 in the morning and did the dishes before I went to work, which is not something I would ordinarily do, because that's very early for me to get up. Um, uh, So I I did the dishes and then left for work, and then later she sent me a text saying how much she appreciated. But the point is that yeah, by the time I was done doing the dishes, I wasn't upset at it anymore. However, the trick is that you have to do them out of love, not out of anger. You can be angry while doing it, especially when you're starting, but the motivation has to be love. So act as if you love her with your motivation being love, and I think you may find that those negative feelings might dissipate. As well, one of the supporters in our forum shared what she does in these situations, and I thought it was so good, I'm just going to read it for you. So she wrote, When this happens, I will tell hubby about the dream, expressing that I know it's silly. I understand my need to work through those feelings. Talking about the dream helps in a few ways. Number one, I'm communicating, which helps bridge the separation. Number two, it helps him know the reason behind any weird attitudes or actions on my part. Number three, talking it out actually helps me work through a large part of the issue itself. I'm an auditory learner, so hearing myself say it out loud helps me process. To touch on the above, talking about it could also open up conversation if there is an issue that has been avoided. So something that might be causing the dream, for example. And just to piggyback on what she said with point number three, you know, our minds have this part that we call the critical faculty. It's a part of our mind that decides uh, what is true and what isn't based on our beliefs due to past experiences, learnings, etc. And now your critical faculty is struggling because it's experienced something in a dream and it doesn't know how to reconcile that. Now, when this part of our minds thinks it knows something, it's it can be very difficult to convince it otherwise. You know, we tend to ignore facts, arguments, etc., that go against our belief. Um, this results in a critical bias. However, one of the ways to shortcut programming our critical faculty is to say things out loud because our brains tend to believe what we say. Uh, you see this with people who just talk absolute nonsense. They say it so often that they believe what they've said and they won't listen to anything else. 
And because after all, it's us talking and we tend to take ourselves very seriously. This is why negative self-talk is so bad. It literally reprograms your brain so that you can't see positive things about yourself. But by contrast, it's also why personal affirmations actually work. You know, it's not just new age spiritualism. It's actually how our brains are wired. So telling your spouse how you've been feeling and how you are choosing to think about them can actually change how you feel. It may not be instantaneous or immediate, but it can help. Uh, So there are some practical things that you can try. All right. Question seven. My husband introduced me to your podcast and has been extremely helpful and enlightening. I first off would like to thank you for being willing to speak openly about sex and all things sexually related and answering all of our questions. You are very welcome. A little background on myself. I am from a very abusive family when I was a child. I was sexually, mentally, and physically abused by my family members repeatedly growing up. It doesn't. It didn't stop until I met my now husband. I thank the Lord every day for him moving me from such a toxic environment and influence. Now we have two children together, and I've seen my sex drive plummet over the years since we've been married. It's so confusing for me because it, at times, certain ways my husband touches me, it will turn me on, and others, it will bring up a painful memory, and I will completely shut down and won't be able to climax and suddenly lose all interest in any kind of sexual activity. I feel horrible because I know it is hard on my husband because I want to please him and not to withhold anything from him sexually. My husband has always been 100% respectful to me and will never do anything I'm not comfortable with. I feel as though the same kind of foreplay every time is not productive for me and I have a really difficult time reaching any kind of climax. I guess my question is, could my past have a hindrance on not reaching climax or could it be needing alternate forms of foreplay? All right, so the good news is that you needing different kinds of foreplay each time is not unusual, and it's likely not because of your history of abuse. Women who have not dealt with abuse still have the same struggle. It's a topic of constant frustration for both wives and husbands, usually about their wives, because generally men think fairly logically. You know, if A produces B, then A should produce B every single time. However, women's sex drives aren't logical, or at least they're so complex that we can't understand them logically. And I don't mean we men, I mean we humans. You know, many times my wife and I will cycle through a few different foreplay attempts before we find something that works. And sometimes we can't find one that works, and we just try again the next night. It happens, it's normal, you're not broken in that regard. Uh, Now, there are some things that you can try if you want something physical, Uh, massages tend to work for a lot of women, not all of them, but many. Uh, if your husband doesn't know how to give a good massage, I highly suggest checking out Melt. Uh, I'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, he has videos teaching couples how to give sensual massages, basically. Uh, I can't tell you how many people have emailed me saying it changed their marriage. And I've experienced the same thing as well. Uh, It took me years to finally start massaging my wife more. Uh, I actually have multiple posts on why don't I do this more often. And I finally got it through my head that I do. And now I do it all the time and, uh, it works out quite well. Uh, I get to touch her and she gets a massage and everybody's happy. Uh, it doesn't always end up in sex, which is okay too. Uh, now that said, uh, mental foreplay 
also has a tendency to work really well for women. Uh, in fact, it tends to work more reliably than physical foreplay. And that's one of the reasons I made a whole bunch of foreplay games that are in our shop. Um, I'll link to them in the show notes too. Now, the husbands tend to just really like the activities in the games themselves. But for women, it's more about the context. You know, there is a mystery because you don't know what's going to happen. There's a loss of control, but in a good way, because the game is making choices. And so there's a sense of adventure without responsibility. And for many women, that's quite an arousing combination and leads to a really good context. So... Yeah, that's my best guess as what's going on with some ideas to try. And question eight is, how widespread is polyamory? Our oldest son, our oldest married son is in this sort of relationship. And this question is from John. So for those who don't know, polyamory is the philosophy that you can be romantically involved with multiple people at the same time and... Yeah, that's basically it, I believe. Uh, how widespread is it? Uh, it seems that under the 5% of the population in the U.S. engage in this sort of lifestyle, as far as I can tell. And by far the majority of those are those who also profess to be pansexual or bisexual or other, as often these individuals don't like to be labeled. Unsurprisingly, the majority, about 85% of people in polyamorous relationships are agnostic, atheists, or part of some fringe religion. Uh, so in short, this is a lifestyle that isn't really compatible with the Bible's teachings. Some may disagree with me on that. There are some Christians who engage in polyamory, but I'd say that they have grossly misinterpreted the Bible, either intentionally or not. It also tends to be younger people who engage in this behavior, uh, and many grow out of it. Uh, sometimes when the relationship ends and they're dis disillusioned by reality. So ultimately, I fear it will likely end up poorly for your son, I'm sorry to say. As far as I can tell uh, from my research, the vast majority of these couples uh, implode uh, with everyone involved hurt. Often it's a marriage adding a third person, uh, in the, like in the case of your son, and when the relationship devolves, the marriage tends to as well. And sadly, about a quarter of those relationships involve young children in the mix as well, which damages them long-term in many cases. And that's a difficult place to be in as a father. Uh, I honestly don't envy having to watch that from the sidelines. Most likely the best thing that you can do is be there for him when it falls apart. Um, chances are he's not going to listen to you at this point. He's probably still having his fun. Uh, and hopefully he'll grow out of it at some point and you can be there to help him through that. And then question nine is a little weird. I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Uh, they just wrote, I'm trying to talk to my wife about cuckolding. Is that uncommon? So it's a little unclear what this person is asking. You know, are you trying to talk about cuckolding as in her having a child with another man despite being with you? Uh, if so, the statistics are about 1% of children are the result of affairs. Uh, or do you simply mean that the behavior of women sleeping with men other than their husband in short, this is a specific form of adultery, that tends to occur about 13% of the time, according to self-reported statistics. And then there's the question of what do you mean by trying to talk to your wife about it? Are you trying to talk to her about the occurrence statistics from an intellectual perspective or a commentary on society? Or are you trying to convince her to do it? You know, that's not something I'd recommend. Uh, or are you concerned your children might not be yours? Um, 
So to answer all those questions in rapid succession, yes, it happens and it's deplorable. No, you should not engage or encourage this behavior. And chances are your children are sure are yours, but you could always get a DNA test to prove it. Uh, though even asking for that might damage your relationship with your wife. And that is it for September's questions. But October is wrapping up, as I said, so I'll be starting next month's questions soon. If you have a question of your own, you can email me at j at uncoveringintimacy.com or you can submit it anonymously to our Have a Question page. Um, don't forget to check out and fill out the survey. Uh, and if you're interested, uh, you can take a look at our Intimacy Advent Calendar if you're looking for a way to make... Uh, December a time when you actually grow intimacy rather than uh, have a lot of conflict, which tends to happen around the holidays. And stay tuned for an announcement about an upcoming webinar, um, this one just for the wives. And as always, I want to thank my awesome supporters without whom this ministry wouldn't be possible. And if you'd like to see the questions as they come in, participate in the discussion, and possibly have your thoughts contributed to the posts, um, check out our supporters page for more information. Uh, that's it for now. See ya.